There are very few things that investors can do that are free. But what about a podcast that delivers educational content on investing, saving strategies, financial planning, topical items of interest, and maybe even the odd wacky topic? Welcome to Free Lunch. Hosted by Greg Kramitsky and Colin Andrews of the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy, Free Lunch will bring listeners the firm's vast knowledge and experience in dealing with uncertainty to help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast with Greg and Colin. And Greg, here we are, episode 103. Right on. And this episode we've titled, You Left It in Cash? Question mark, question mark, question mark. Did you see it? I did. did Yeah, they're very impactful. Yes. So last week we had fun reviewing the book Atomic Habits, which is a very different discussion, sort of. But the purpose of that discussion was to help people focus on creating good habits and removing bad habits by implementing better processes. Exactly. It was a good book to read. It was. Yeah, I enjoyed that. And the work is very relevant in all areas, even in your finances. I can't remember the quote we said last week, but something like your financial being is a lagging indicator of your financial habits. That's right. Something like that. But finances can lead to a lot of emotion as we're seeing now. Like there's a lot of volatility in the markets and they're leading to emotional discussions with many investors. So Greg, last week I recently had a face-to-face meeting. Remember doing those? Yes. And I'm enjoying getting into some of those meetings now. Yeah, it's good. After two years of everything virtual, seeing people face-to-face is great. But the meeting I had was with a couple I've worked with for almost 20 years. And in the meeting, there were tears, tears shed. And Greg, these were not tears of joy. I'm guessing. Yeah, the tears came from fear. Fear about the current market and what it possibly means to these particular clients who are just a year or so away from retirement. And they're scared. So we talked about all of the different cycles that have occurred over the last 20 years that we've been working together and how things have always worked out and how during each of those cycles, it always felt like it was never going to get better, but it always did. It did. So it was a very emotionally charged meeting. And luckily these people, they're great people and they trust me and they feel safe to share their true fears. But Greg, what about all those people out there that don't have someone they trust to guide them through choppy, volatile markets. Like what would those people do? Yeah, exactly. And if you're left to your own devices and you let fear rule your actions, then they can lead to a lot of wrong decisions. Yeah. And I know probably a year ago, we did an episode, we talked about having a pilot when you're on an airplane and you hit turbulent skies and you kind of want that pilot that has a lot of experience I don't know, flying through turbulence. That'd be good. So why is this any different? No, exactly. So let's dedicate this episode to those people. Let's share some stories, facts, and dialogue about what they should be doing. Because I heard a story a week or so ago from my buddy Shields. And Greg, that's his nickname, Shields. I thought you made that up. I didn't make it up. No. I won't share anymore because I don't want to give away his true identity. Okay. Kind of like Clark Kent and Superman. However, I will tell you, and I know, Shields, that you're listening to this episode. So this one is dedicated to you and your efforts to help those that you come across. Because Shields told me about this person he met that had gotten scared during the global credit crisis in 2008 to 2009, 2010, whatever those years were exactly. And at that time, these people were so scared, they cashed in all of their money, or in finance terms, we say they went to cash, and they never reinvested. 
because they were then and they are now scared. But Yuck. Greg, what have they accomplished by not losing their money by going to cash? What have they accomplished? Not a lot. No, they've lost a ton. And now these people are living on this money, Greg. Yep. So they've had no rate of return. They've had, a, as a matter of fact, a negative rate of return for over a decade because you have things like inflation where you're losing purchasing power. If you're not making anything on your investments, you're losing purchasing power. And it has been one of the best 10 or 12 year periods in stock market history. Oh, I think you're right. Until recently, it was the longest bull market in US stock market history. So now listen, it's normal to feel fear. And I've been having this conversation a lot with people. It's okay to feel it. It's just what do you do with it? So it would be abnormal to think that it doesn't affect you at all. I mean, nobody likes to see their investments go down in value. Like, do you like to see your investments go down in value? Nope, I hate it. Of course, we all hate it. Now, something we talked about for the past few weeks is that there's two sides to volatility. There's this upside volatility and downside volatility. And nobody ever complains about upside volatility, of course, but here we are in a time period where we have downside volatility and it's driving fear. And if you choose to let it come into your, almost want to say your mental health to some degree, if you choose to do that and if you choose to go to cash and stay there, you lose on so many levels. You lose purchasing power as inflation creeps in, as inflation is at an all-time high almost, or a current high. You lose future returns. You lose your dream and instead get super focused on all the wrong things. So please, if you're around people that share a similar story with you that Shields does about going to cash, I beg of you, I beg of you, Greg, ask them what kind of planning they've done. But be kind. Like, don't be focused on being right. It's a fine balance. For sure. My experience is that if we focus on what planning has been done, do a plan, find out the numbers we need to hit to achieve goals that are important to us, then we can mentally deal with short-term negative stock market returns. If we don't, it's just very random. So the way I like to think about it is my house. And I think this is a good example right now because everybody points out, well, the housing market, if I just put money in the housing market, Greg, I'd be so much further ahead. Yeah, we've heard that before too. But there's a difference between your investment portfolio and your house. Well, of course, there's lots of differences. But the one that always comes to mind to me is that you don't have a ticker on your front lawn in front of your house that tells you how much your home is worth on a minute by minute basis where everybody in your neighborhood can walk by your house and see, oh, Greg's house is worth X today. It was worth Y yesterday. You don't have that availability of information. Whereas the stock market, it's in your face. You turn on the news and what do they talk about? The Dow Jones, the S&P 500, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like it's just constant. You open up your phone, it's there. It's constant. Yep. So can you imagine the stress that would be created if we all had digital tickers on our front lawns in front of our houses? That would be bad. It would. And it would lead people to maybe want to trade houses like stocks. Like, oh, if only I'd purchased my home one block north and one block west. That's right. So I know you're going to get into the stock pickers market because there's a lot of people that say, yeah, okay, market's down, but isn't this a good time for stock pickers yeah. to shine? In this episode, we're just going to talk about a few different things. And you've brought up the whole issue of going to cash as an alternative when you're scared. But there's been something that's really on my mind. And it's this whole concept, and you're starting to see it a lot in the financial press or a lot of fund managers when they talk about what's going on in the markets. And what they say is, well, it's a stock picker's market. That's one of the things you hear when markets go down. And frankly, it really frosts my buns, if you know what I mean. 
dollars to donuts, I know exactly what you yeah, mean. Yeah, I mean, it ticks me off. It rubs <laughs> me the wrong way. <laughs> what did you say? Frost my buns? <laughs> yeah. Okay. I have no idea where I heard that. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the implication of saying it's a stock picker's market, the implication of that statement is that when markets are good, everything goes up. And if you just own the stock index, say, with a broadly diversified fund or an index fund, you'll do just fine. However, when markets are going down, there's a greater dispersion of returns among stocks within the index, and therefore an active stock picker can pick the good ones for you while avoiding the bad ones. So let me just explain that a little bit. When markets are going up, typically you'll hear things like, well, a rising tide lifts all boats. And what that means is that, well, everything's going up. So it could be bank stocks or it could be technology stocks or any different types of sectors or stocks and everything's going up and therefore it doesn't matter which stocks you own. They're all going up and therefore you're going to do just fine. However, when stock markets are going down, not everything is going down. So for example, in this market, technology stocks, for example, have been hit quite hard. Yeah, they've been crushed. These high growth stocks. Whereas oil and gas stocks have gone up and certain other sectors have done not too badly. Utilities have done fairly well because of the safety they offer. And so the concept of, well, a stock picker's market implies that, well, in this kind of market, when things are going down, the savvy stock picker is going to be able to avoid the sectors or the stocks that are going down and find those ones that are the good ones that actually go up. Like they're going to be nimble? Exactly. (laughs) So the logical question would be, To me, anyway, why would stock pickers get better at picking stocks during periods of high market volatility and dispersion, but not at other times? Okay, well, that's the question. Because the overall concept is, well, if you could find companies or find stocks that did better than the average stock, then you would become the best investment manager in the world. All of the money would come to you, and you would raise your fees and eventually you wouldn't be the best stock picker in the world anymore. So what we have to do is we have to look at whether or not the facts actually back up this concept that stock picking works better in down markets than it does in up markets. Wait, well, before we get into it, does it even make sense, Greg? Like, does it even make sense that somebody is better at picking stocks on a downside than on an upside? What doesn't make sense to me, because if you look at what actually happened in the bull market, in 2020, 2021, when technology stocks were all the rage, not all stocks were behaving the same anyway. For example, the classic oil and gas stocks, those things were getting crushed while technology names were going up and bank stocks were doing okay and real estate stocks were doing great. And there's always dispersion. Not every stock in the index goes up exactly 10% a year because the index goes up 10% a year. On average. And that's on average. And so <laughs> I think it might be kind of a false hypothesis to start with. But first, let's look at the overall data surrounding the ability of active mutual fund managers to actually outperform their benchmarks in all markets. And so there's lots of different sources of this research, but Dimensional Fund Advisors annually compile research on U.S.-based mutual funds and exchange-traded funds to track how equity or stock and fixed income funds perform relative to their benchmarks. And the most recent data they have is for the 20-year period that ends this past December, December 31st of 2021. And so let's just look at the stock funds for the purposes of this discussion. If you look at the 10-year period ending at the end of December, there were 3,025 funds at the beginning of that period. So 10 years ago, December 31st, there was 3,000 stock funds in the U.S. Of those, only 65% survived for the 10-year period. 
So in the end, there's only 65% left. Out of all of the funds that started, only 26% of the original funds beat their benchmark. So even if you just surmised that managers, there's a normal distribution, so returns are just based on luck alone, you would kind of expect that roughly half would beat the index and half would miss the index or perform worse. But in fact, only 26% of the original funds beat their benchmark after 10 years. And if you look at over a 20-year period, the percentage of funds beating the benchmark was actually only 18%. There's not a lot of evidence to suggest that over long periods of time, actively picking stocks is helping all that much. This is a great definition of probability because, as you say, you would think that half would underperform and half would outperform. Exactly. That's probability. But because these people are making tens, hundreds, thousands of decisions, this isn't like, I'm going to buy Apple versus Microsoft. It's like, today I'm going to buy Apple and tomorrow I'm going to sell it and buy Microsoft and then buy Netflix and sell it and buy Peloton and sell it and buy, like it's just over and over and over. So it's just a magnified probability scope. That's right. So I mentioned over 20 years, the percentage of stock funds beating their benchmark was only 18%. And the same general trend was seen with fixed income funds, by the way. Another key focus of their research is on persistence of returns, because a lot of people will say, okay, well, hey, 26% of those funds beat the benchmark for the last 10 years. I'm just going to invest in those funds. So what they did is they looked at the funds that performed in the top quartile, which means in the top 25% of all funds, in five-year periods. And then they looked at the same fund's performance in subsequent five-year periods. So if you look back, say, okay, well, over the period, I don't know, pick a period, 2000 to 2005, these funds were in the top 25%. How did they do in 2005 to 2010? So they looked at subsequent performance and they found that on average only 21%, so less than a quarter of the top performing funds in a five-year period actually remained in the top quartile in the subsequent periods. So you can't just say, okay, well, I'm going to buy this fund because it was a top performer for the last five years because you've only got a 21% chance they're going to continue to be a top performer for the next five years. And so, okay, well, what's the reason for that? What's the reason that only 26% of funds beat their benchmark over 10 years? Well, when they look at the reasons for those results, while you can't maybe say conclusively from the research, but you could certainly imagine that higher expense ratios and higher trading expenses are correlated with poorer results. So active fund managers, they could turn over a portfolio 50% in a year. And so there's lots of trading going on. There's lots of trading expenses. There's management expenses, which in Canada, the management expense ratio can be up to two and a half percent on many funds. What about if the funds are just in general underperforming? They know they're not top quartile. So now they're taking bigger bets on more concentrated positions to try to improve their performance. Exactly. So all of these things can contribute to less outperformance or less even average performance than you'd expect. That'll make sense. So let's get back to the stock pickers market because that's how these funds perform over long periods, meaning all sorts of different market cycles. But there was a study done by S&P Dow Jones back in 2012. So this is following, of course, the period of the global financial crisis when, of course, stocks were highly volatile and down 50% from top to bottom. Wait, did you just say S&P Dow Jones? Yeah, so it's the S&P Dow Jones, and I don't know if that was like the company at the time, Standard & Poor's, but I didn't go back to look at 
why it was the S&P Dow Jones. It just sounds funny. It's like saying Visa MasterCard. Almost. Anyways, sorry, go on. So anyway, the study that was done looked at the dispersion of returns. As I mentioned, that's the degree of correlation in the returns of a portfolio's components. So in this case, what is the correlation of the stocks, the 500 stocks within the S&P 500? So as I mentioned, when markets are going up, if everything's going up together, that would be low dispersion. Whereas in a bad market where some are going up, some are going down, that would be high dispersion. And so the hypothesis of the stock pickers market crowd is that in good times, all stocks are going up, low dispersion, and the index is going up. And it should be difficult in that case for active managers to find investments that'll lead to outperformance of the index. Whereas in market downturns, there's a lot of dispersion of returns within the index. So an active stock picker has a better chance of outperforming. The study showed that in periods of high dispersion, which tended to peak during the bear markets of say 2000 to 2002 and 2008, 2009, that active managers should do better relative to their benchmarks than during periods of low dispersion. In the end, the study results showed no significant improvement in active fund outperformance of benchmarks during those periods compared to other periods. It's easy to say it's a stock picker's market, and if I was a stock picker, I'd be saying that too. But the facts don't necessarily support that. I think that's just marketing. It's a marketing attempt for somebody to say, look, the market's going down, but I can pick the right stocks. I mean, Kathy Wood's doing this right now with her ARC. I always forget. ARC Innovation. innovation, Yeah. I mean, that fund, that ETF is exactly what you just talked about. When the market was going up in 2020, like it had a monster return. It was focused on things like technology. And since then, that fund is down 68% in value in a year. Yet she comes out and says, am I picking on her? Yeah, I guess I am. Because I think I want to. Because she comes out and says, yeah, but I expect my fund to return 50% a year going forward for the next number of years. That's a bunch of baloney. That really frosts my buns, Greg. Does it? Yeah. It gets your goat? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the question is this, and I've had this discussion many times over the years as we go through some of these markets, is like, well, Kathy Wood, was she like brilliant for a couple of years? And then did she get stupid last year? And the answer is no, I don't believe that. I think she's probably a fairly smart person. I think she's quite intelligent. But the problem was that the momentum changed. The stocks that were doing extremely well in 2021 and 2020, those were those high growth technology names that tend to benefit from low interest rates because of the discount rate. Of course, when you're discounting future earnings, many of these companies don't even have earnings yet. So a low discount rate means higher prices today. And as soon as interest rates start going up, the discount rate goes up. The current valuations don't make sense. So the prices have to come down. So no, I don't think she got smart and then stupid and will get smart again. I think that she's investing on a momentum strategy and things that were currently showing strong positive momentum. And now they're going the other direction. That's right. Okay. Well, let's talk about cycles over the past 20 years because you referenced this article that looked at, well, basically that time period. So we have current issues right now. I mean, our current issues are Ukraine and Russia. That's ongoing. We have lingering effects from COVID, supply chain issues coming out of China. And so the question is, where will it go? And well, if history tells us anything, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to say it's going to go back up. We're going to put that down on paper. Oh yeah, we're making a bet right now. I bet you the market goes back up. I'm just not going to tell you when. Or how much. Or how high. But it's going to go back up. Let's look at previous market corrections and how they fared if you stayed invested. So I'll just start with, I'm just going to go through three or four. So the COVID pandemic, March of 2020, 
the S&P fell 34% basically in a minute. It was very fast. Yeah, like it just, when you had a global lockdown, everything just cratered. Since then, even at today's prices, which are off from the high, the S&P 500 is up 54%. Not bad. Not bad. The cryptocurrency crash of September to December of 2018, the S&P 500 fell 14%. Now is up 59%. That's a good number. For sure. Flash Crash, May of 2010. Do you remember that book, Flash Crash? Or I do. Flash Boys, I think it was called? Flash Boys, yeah. It was a good book. The Dow Jones fell 1,000 points in one day, which at the time was like a pretty drastic move. Now, since then, we've had a few thousand point days. But anyways, the Dow Jones at the time was only at 10,000 points. So it fell 10% in a day. Since then, it's up 219% according to today's data. That's pretty remarkable, Greg. It is. And the last one I'll go through, probably the most significant in our careers, the global financial crisis. In March of 2009, the S&P 500 was trading at 797 points. Oh, the good old days. Can you believe that? Yeah, the good old days. It fell 43% from its previous March of, when was that? 2008, I guess. Now up 398%. So all you had to do was stay invested during that massive crisis and you gained 400% if you were invested in the S&P 500. Crazy. So the point of it isn't like, will there be stock market corrections? Well, of course there will because we're living through one right now. That's right. There will be bear markets. Whether this one turns into a bear market officially by being down 20% or more to be determined. The NASDAQ is currently in a bear market. It's down 25%, I believe. But yeah, there will be those periods of time. Yeah. And so during those periods of time, then the question is going back to the beginning of the discussion. What will you do about it? If you sell and go to cash, or if you're thinking about it, you better talk to Shields. Shields is going to tell you, don't do it, man. Don't do it because of fear. You're going to miss out on the returns. They're going to bring you back to previous and even new time highs. So we know the game plan on dealing with market corrections. And we spoke about them last week on our Atomic Habits episode, but we've spoken about them lots So let's just refresh everybody about four habits, I want to call them. You want to take these four habits? Sure. Well, number one, we would say stay invested. And number two, ignore headlines. It can be a very scary time. And this is the time when, of course, the entertainment news, business news, sell a lot of advertising because the headlines will be stock market crash. When will it end? And that just hypes up the fear that people are already experiencing. Number three, which is very critical, is rebalance to your strategic asset allocation periodically, meaning most of our clients or that we work with are not 100% in stocks. And so there are other asset classes that they hold, whether it's fixed income, cash type investments, etc. Go back and look at your strategic asset allocation and make sure you rebalance to that because that's how you sell high and buy low, which is always the goal but you're only doing it with a small part of your portfolio. Oh, wait, wait. You said sell high and buy low. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I got yeah. it now. Okay, yeah. good. <laughs> and the fourth thing is rest and digest. Focus on things that bring you happiness and things you can control. So listen, I do want to make one last point on that is that, listen, we're not naive. We're not Pollyannas. When bad things happen, there is not a guarantee that things will do better in the future. So it's not a guarantee, but... It's always happened in the past that bear markets have been erased by subsequent bull markets. And as long as you, deep in your heart, have a belief that the world is not coming to an end, then there's no reason to do anything more than make sure you've got a plan and stick to the strategy 
and work through it that way and talk to people that give you advice. Yeah. Find somebody that you trust that you're able to, what's the term, bend their ear? Yep. Like I feel very privileged when we have clients that come in and they share with me their true fears. Sure. I feel privileged to be able to have that conversation with them because they trust me. But I do worry about people out there that just don't have that type of relationship that they're able to do that. And so they just spin around in fear. Yeah. Anyways, I don't want to go on and on about that, but I know we were going to talk about the death of the 60-40 portfolio, but I think we're going to save that for our next episode. We will save that for next time. And just a bit of a spoiler alert, it's still alive. What? But the headlines, Greg, the headlines told me it died. I know. Or it was dying. I know. know. Anyways. All right. Well, that'll be a good conversation for next time. Right on. All right. So we'll catch you then. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Free Lunch Podcast hosted by the CM Group at CIBC Wood Gundy. To subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners, please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the Free Lunch Podcast. The CIBC logo and CIBC Private Wealth Management are registered trademarks of CIBC. If you are currently a CIBC Wood Gundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Private Wealth Management consists of services provided by CIBC and certain of its subsidiaries, including CIBC Wood Gundy, a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc. CIBC Private Wealth Management is a registered trademark of CIBC used under license. Wood Gundy is a registered trademark of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Colin Andrews and Greg Kraminski are investment advisors with CIBC Wood Gundy. This information, including any opinion, is based on various sources believed to be reliable, but its accuracy cannot be guaranteed and is subject to change. CIBC and CIBC World Markets, Inc., their affiliates, directors, officers, and employees may buy, sell, or hold a position in securities of a company mentioned herein, its affiliates or subsidiaries, and may also perform financial advisory services, investment banking or other services for, or have lending or other credit relationships with the same. CIBC World Markets, Inc. and its representatives will receive sales commissions and or a spread between bid and ask prices if you purchase, sell, or hold the securities referred to above. CIBC World Markets, Inc., 2022.